All right, go ahead and grab a comfortable seat. We're going to get started here. So one of my favorite things about the church is that it's not just something that's limited to here and now in this place where we are. It really is a global worldwide story. Following Jesus is a global worldwide adventure. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and we belong to a bigger story than just what God is birthing here in Temecula. We really do belong to a family of churches. And about six years ago now, um, Andy and his wife Jackie moved down to San Diego back to where he's from, essentially, um, to plant the very first restored church. And me and Ebony uh, had the privilege of being with those communities um, from the first one to South Bay and then sending our friends and family to L.A., uh, we were there from the beginning, and it really has been this incredible thing that we've had front row seats watching God do something, honestly, incredible. Like watching, um, watching the story that he's been writing has been like better than anything I could have imagined, and honestly, it's been, it's been incredible. Um, before I bring Andy up, I want to read something to you out of Ephesians chapter 4 in light of this idea that it's, it's a bigger story than just here, what's happening right now for us, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, Paul writes this. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, that he is, is Jesus. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers Here's the purpose, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up that global body of Christ until we, the church, all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It talks about how Jesus gives gifts to that global church, the worldwide body of Christ, and the purpose of those gifts that are listed. Those, those gifts are actually people that God has equipped and gifted to bless the church, to build it up into maturity. We brought the kids up here to give you that living picture of why we exist as a church, to see men and women, boys and girls, regardless of your age or stage of life, grow in our awareness of God's love, to be equipped with the gospel to minister to the world around us. That's God's plan to redeem all things. It's beautiful. It starts with our heart, and it extends to the entire planet, the world, okay? I'm going to bring up Andy. Come on up, Andy. Would you give him a hand? Um, <clears throat> Andy really is a gift. And each of you guys, I, I love being able to like see our church get formed, and I love getting time with each of you because I get, to, I get to get a glimpse more and more of the unique ways that each one of you is wired, like the unique way that you are created in the image of God and the ways that he's gifted and equipped you to serve that global body of the church, to receive from that, that girl, that bride, that church, and also to contribute. Andy is a unique gift to us. I really do believe there's an apostolic call in this man's life. And by, by apostolic, by apostle, what I mean is like someone who is, is sent for the purpose of guarding the gospel, advancing the gospel. This man loves the church. Like, I, I could tell you story after story of him sacrificing um, his, his, his life, his time, his resources to see the church thrive and grow, like I talked about in Ephesians, building up that body. So I really want, I want to pray for him, but I really want you to receive from God through him tonight. So I'm going to pray for him. And while I do, I want to invite you to kind of just posture your heart and expectancy that God's going to speak to you in a unique way personally. Okay? I love you guys. Let's pray for Andy and posture our hearts. 
Um, God, thank you again for your grace that transforms us. Your grace, there's nothing like your grace. Um, Man, I can just even think about my story and how your grace invaded my life and it completely altered everything. It altered everything so that you'd be glorified and that I would experience your love and blessing and that you would use us as servants. That's what you want to do. You want to flip the hierarchy of leadership on its head so that we would use any influence that we have to bless other people. And I've seen that in Andy's life. So I pray, Spirit, would you fill him right now? Like, fill him up. Any flesh that is, like, lingering, I pray you just, like, overthrow it, God. We want to experience you. Thank you for the gift that he is. And thank you that, um, thank you, that you love him dearly like you love all of us dearly. This, this unique and beautiful, diverse family that you are uniting and calling to yourself. What a privilege it is to be a part of it and what a privilege it is to, um, to be blessed through it. So we love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us and use Andy. In your holy name, God, amen. Love you. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, just a privilege to be here. Uh, again, there are different introductions uh, to sermons, have kind of different vibes. Uh, it's a very nice, eloquent introduction. You know, I'm uh, one of these amazing gifts. Uh, but, not, but not every uh, introduction is like that. Two weeks ago, I was preaching a sermon and uh, during family time, kind of the five minutes, I had to run to the bathroom, came back, and uh, again, I'm preaching, and uh, my wife, um, basically, she's in the front row. Oh, Colton was there for this, and, uh, and she's like, hey, and she's, she's saying, hey, your fly's down, uh, with, and I'm like, yo, I got you, but I don't want to say over the mic, you know, so I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, and she just doesn't get that I, and she goes, your fly's down, and she's yelling, and I'm like, Cool. <laughs> Everyone sees me. Everyone's looking in that direction, which is pretty, pretty funny. So, so yeah, I love church planning, uh, but I'm a very normal dude, and I just, I'm just so amazed that God's done the stuff he's done through us, and it just really is crazy how we're not special people, but he, he's special to us and does things through us. Um, the thing I want to say is being here tonight, and I know for me when I would have... Um, Guys in a preacher early on, we started our church along these lines, guys that experience um, as a church plan can be really self-conscious, you know, for Tom and Ebb, and, um, and just it can feel like church planning is kind of a, a this stage, uh, this is the baby stage of the church. This is the smallest the church will ever be. And, uh, and the thing about babies are they're small and they're messy, right? So they're small, right? And you're the smallest you'll ever be, literally. And again, literally, like at my church, if 30% of the church doesn't show up, we kind of can tell when like that happens here, it's a big deal. Like you can feel it. Tom's like, oh my gosh, bro. Like, like half of them are, it's like, dude, it's fine. It's church planning. It is what it is, dude. Um, the other thing is, is uh, babies are messy, right? So, so you don't expect a newborn baby to be, to be huge all right. It's not a Benjamin Button situation. Uh, churches that, that, there are Benjamin Button churches. They start really big and they just steal Christians from other churches and they die a slow death. Um, Sad, but, 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 but man, to, to jump in and do, you know, missional church planning and, and try to get this thing started from the ground up um, is, is really beautiful stuff. And, uh, and so, so uh, they're small, but also messy, right? You don't know where you're going to gather yet. You don't know what's going on with that, uh, right? You got kind of poopy dive, but it's kind of a messy situation. And you're trying, where are we gathering? What's going on? It can feel disorganized. It can feel jumbled. I just want to say as much as it might feel small and messy, this is a precious time to be here. When I think back, um, even on my daughter, Olivia, she's two and a half, and I'm already like, man, I, I can't believe she's not a baby anymore and she'll never be a baby again. And, um, and, uh, and Olivia's actually as old as our South Bay church when it was in pre-launch stage. And so I can see it. And Calvin's is the age of uh, Uptown. Uh, and like I can track. They're born weeks from the birth of those churches. And so I just want to say as, as much as this might feel small, this is, it's an honor to be here in this season. 
to know this church as a baby, to then see the fruitful bride she'll become. So I just want to say this is really, really cool, whether you realize it or not. Uh, this is a cool time. Um, unique, but very cool. Uh, so you guys are in the, the, uh, the book of Galatians. By the way, my wife Jack's not here, our kids. Um, every I was at Restored LA last weekend, and pretty much my kids get sick on Friday night. Uh, this whole winter. So uh, my son has diarrhea. He's pretty excited about his seven, uh, seven in a diaper uh, today. And uh, yeah, it's, we had a, I can't even get into details, but it's rough. Um, so yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So that being said, uh, if you guys have Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter four. And again, I will have to go right after I preach. It's no offense to you. I don't think I'm too big of a deal to hang and pray. I just literally, we have a, an emergency elders meeting at 8.15. So I gotta be back down in San Diego about as quickly as I can be. Um, so Galatians chapter four. So book of Galatians, if you guys have been here for a while, it is a letter written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Apostle in Greek, apostle, it just means sent one. You're sent to start new gospel work, start new churches. Uh, Jesus died, he, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He sends out uh, the church to be the church. He says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth and, uh, and make disciples. And as you make disciples, the best place to raise up a disciple is a church. Um, Jesus talks about being born again. The idea is that when you get saved, uh, you are born again and you are saved into a family, whether you know it or not. And just like um, it's not, this is not always the case. I didn't grow up in a family like this. Uh, so if you didn't grow up in a family like this, that's okay. But I think uh, sociology has proven, studies have proven. I think the Bible teaches that, that the be- if, if possible, uh, the best space to grow up is, with, is in a, a solid home with a mom and dad who love each other more than they love the kids. And, and are, if at all possible to have both parents is, is, is ideal. Um, and in the same way, man, you can be a Christian and kind of listen to podcasts and do random things. But at the end of the day, the best scenario is a local church family uh, with qualified elders to, to, to oversee that church and help grow you up spiritually. So, so kids grow up in the context of family um, in the same way disciples grow up in the context of church. And so um, Paul, is, is, he's out there, he's, he's starting church plants. He's a dude who hates the gospel, gets saved, starts planting churches. Uh, and then um, we, we don't know the full story in the church of Galatia, but it's in modern day Turkey. And uh, he uh, basically got sick and um, kind of classic apostle Paul, he gets sick and he's like, well, and he, and he couldn't travel anymore because uh, he was sick. And so he kind of just decided, well, since I'm sick, I might as well preach the gospel to you guys. Um, you know, like I'm gonna start a church plant in this hospital kind of vibe uh, in, in Galatia. And then he, he went on and then we don't know the full context, but we know probably he heard from someone that uh, after he left, so he came to preach the gospel of grace, this idea that there is nothing that you can do to earn a relationship with God. There's nothing you can do to justify yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, earn your ticket to heaven and earn a relationship with the God of the universe that you are so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but you are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you at the exact same time, this radical message that um, like Jesus said that the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of the religious leaders, that it's, it's, it's the people who realize I need grace. I can't get there. And he brings this beautiful message that, that makes everyone think, man, I could have a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, everything changes. And I don't have time to get into all of it today. That's what this whole book's about. But that being said, um, Paul, uh, after he left, he got word that after he left and preached this message of grace, that a group came in, and we don't know their, their real name, but scholars called them the Judaizers. Uh, they kind of wanted to blend traditional rabbinical Judaism with uh, Second Temple Judaism with Christianity. And basically it was, Jesus is great. He's a good Messiah. Um, he's our Messiah. Uh, believe in Jesus and obey the law 
and you'll be saved, right? So another name for them, uh, the Judaizers, is the Circumcision Party, which is not a party I want to go to. Uh, not a cool party. Uh, but it was a group of guys uh, who basically were like, man, again, circumcision, because you got to be a Jew. You got to obey the law. You get circumcised just like a traditional Jew would. And so they wanted to make the Jewish law the centerpiece of their faith instead of Jesus. They're turning the message of the gospel into something you do instead of something that Jesus has done for you. And so in the first two chapters, Paul defends, uh, these false teachers came in, they go, man, Paul's not even an apostle. Yeah, he has this message of grace, but it's because he didn't even know Jesus. He didn't know the early church. He didn't know the real apostles. And so Paul spends the first two chapters going, yo, I'm legitimately an apostle. Uh, chapters three and four, he defends the content of the gospel. He gives nine arguments defending the gospel. We're gonna look at the last two tonight. He's gonna argue that the gospel is superior to the law. Um, he's gonna argue from relationship and he's gonna argue from the Old Testament. And he's saying, it makes no sense that you would walk away from the gospel of grace to a religion where you need to justify yourself. And he's going to explain why this is a crazy idea. Uh, last week, Tom talked about how the gospel Jesus, uh, that, in the, that through the gospel, Jesus doesn't just make us right with God the judge, but on the cross, he paves a way for us to be adopted by God the Father. That on the cross is as, as, as if he signed our adoption papers. And when you're adopted by God the Father, it changes everything in your relationship with God. You go from being a guilty slave to being a privileged son or daughter. And what Paul's gonna argue is that to live under the law when you could live under grace is basically to, um, it's like choosing slavery over choosing the, the freedom of a privileged son. You're going from having, it's like, I want God to be a slave master. I don't want to make God my dad. It's going to go, that's crazy. You're trying to earn something that you already have. Because that's a bad trade. Um, my, uh, my wife's half African-American and her, uh, they did one of those kind of genealogy studies and to kind of figure out. Um, where your family's from, and, and on her African-American, her black side of the family, we found out that one of her uh, relatives uh, helped, uh, helped foil a plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln uh, as, a, uh, as a freed slave. Uh, that, that's something that she did. Um, or actually, as, she wasn't freed uh, as a slave and, uh, and got her into trouble. And so literally, she had relatives that were, that were slaves at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation. I just want you to imagine, which is when Abraham Lincoln said slavery is abolished in the United States. And I want you to imagine a, um, a slave, a former slave, one year after the signing of that document. And that slave lives in a similar area to where the slave had lived before. And then that slave walks into town and sees his old master, who he had labored under for 45 hard, back-breaking, abusive years. And in his gut, he would almost feel even before feeling anger or hatred, there's a good chance he would feel almost a sense of subservience and almost like, oh, the boss is here. And then he would have to go, wait a minute, that, that's not my reality anymore. That's not, that's not the story anymore. That's, that's not my reality. That's not my identity anymore. But it's so easy to forget who you are. Um, and, and that's basically what, what the Galatians are, are doing, but they're, but they're rolling with it. It's not just that they see their old master of the law and go, oh man, uh, they actually have people going, yeah, he is your master. Imagine like the, 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 the old master had a bunch of people that came over and said, hey, actually, you don't know this, but hey, the, that document's been reversed. You're actually a slave again and you're living in bondage. You're living in slavery. And so Paul's gonna say, don't go back to the slavery of the law. These false teachers are preaching to you instead of the new free relationship with God the Father through Jesus. So if you have Bibles, we're gonna be in Galatians chapter four, verse eight through 31. Okay, we, got, we gotta move. Eight through 31. Just uh, pray for just 
Beg for mercy if uh, it's going too long. Dude, you can say no mas. Throw throw the white flag. All right, Galatians 4, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, again, you were living under the law, you were enslaved to that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather that you are known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and you're, you're trying to observe all these Jewish uh, traditions. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So what, save you is, is, what saves you is not your knowledge of God, but God's knowledge of you. What saves you isn't you doing the right stuff. It's Jesus doing the right stuff for you, is what Paul is saying. He's like, man, why, why would you guys do this? Verse 12, Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Then this is where we see how the church started, verse 13. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment, kind of a sickness or a disease or, or an injury, that I preached the gospel to you at first. And, and, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has uh, become of your blessedness? For I testified uh, to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, that's pretty intense. Uh, but Paul says, man, when I showed up, I was here because I, I was sick. I didn't plan on being with you guys. Again, I was sick, started this church. Um, by the way, angel is another word for messenger in the Bible. They weren't saying he thought he was a literal angel. thought he was a messenger of Christ Jesus is what that means. Um, and he's like, man, remember the good times when I was with you. And now you guys are abandoning me and abandoning the message of Jesus I brought. When I was, this, I, you're abandoning me as, as a messenger and you're abandoning the message of the gospel. Verse 16, now he's going to talk about the teachers who have come in after Paul with this new uh, message of the law, Jesus plus the law. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. My little children from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I'm perplexed about you. It's like, man, this is painful and it's perplexing to me that you would take on this message and reject Jesus. And by the way, he's saying, you know, um, these guys, um, these guys that have come in, um, they make, verse 17, they make much of you. They make you feel like you're a big deal. Like, oh, you can do it. You can fulfill the law, right? Kind of the water boy, you can do it. Uh, kind of this like, you know, building you up. And you might like that feeling, but, but in that feeling of rejecting Jesus, if you can do it, then Jesus didn't need to do it. So like Galatians says in another place, if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you can get God to love you through your quiet time, then Jesus is a fool. He died for no reason. Again, we would never say out loud that we could earn God's favor, but man, we can live in that same space that they live in. And he's saying, man, these men are destroying you. I loved you. I, I, I'm, spiritually, I'm, I'm feeling the pain of childbirth here. I was there when you were born again. I remember that. I was kind of the midwife when the Holy Spirit brought you to Jesus and it's breaking my heart that you w- would go back into this thing. And so, so he's arguing um, from relationship saying, man, please, 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 um, you know this gospel is true. And then um, one of the things that the Judaizers were saying, they're making the claim that Paul, a devout Jew, was rejecting the law. He was rejecting the Old Testament altogether. And so Paul, the brilliant, he was literally a, uh, an expert on the Old Testament laws, an ex-Pharisee. He argues from the Old Testament 
to bring the gospel credibility. So this is his second line of reasoning. Verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He's like, you wanna get into the Old Testament? You don't even know the Old Testament. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate, one will be more than those of one who has a husband. And so, um, again, we see, we see this uh, story here. Um, back in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, they had many sons, all that stuff. Uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham's kind of a unique guy. Uh, he's the father of the faith, but he was kind of a, he had, he had a lot of problems. The Bible's full of really jacked up people in Jesus, which is good because we're all jacked up people who need Jesus. The Bible is not good people you need to be like um, and bad people you don't want to be like. The Bible's full of a bunch of bad people that you are kind of like. Uh, you, you are more like the worst person in the Bible than you are like Jesus, naturally. But anyways, uh, Abraham... He comes on the scene. God calls him from a faraway place, probably modern day Iraq, calls him to, uh, to the promised land, calls him to be a father of many nations. He's very old uh, and he's so old. Uh, again, they're close to, they're 90 or 100. I forget the exact age. Uh, I think it's 90, 99. And, uh, and he shows up in Sarah, I think it's 90. She's like nine years younger. It's kind of robbing the cradle there. And uh, he's got a really young hottie and 90 year old. Um, uh, which side note, Sarah, like when they're in their 70s, all the men are trying to steal her from him. So she must have been a babe. I, I don't know. Um, that being said, um, he shows up and, and, so, and Sarah just laughs at it. She's like, dude, I'm not gonna, I'm 90, right? Some of you guys are like 50, you're like, I, I could have a baby now. She's 90. She laughs at it. She rejects it. Uh, God made that promise though. They can't have kids. They really want that. Um, they feel barren. Uh, it says rejoice, oh, who are barren. They were barren. Um, and, and they laugh it off. And so um, as time goes on, and this happens where we feel like we want something. I see this happen often um, with young singles and they feel like God's called them to be married and they wanna be married. And so they, they kind of take matters into their own hands. And so they start dating like a non-Christian or they say dating someone who doesn't respect their faith or, or they, um, does that make sense? Or they lower their standards where you're like, come on, like you uh, take, take even faith out of it. Like you, you this, is, this is not for you. This person doesn't respect you. This person doesn't honor you. They don't care about your family. And so kind of in the flesh, they do their own um, thing. And they kind of did that. So, so, so Abraham was like, hey, honey, um, uh, or actually, I think it might've been her idea. Oh yeah. So, so she's like, hey, I'm 99. We've got this, uh, you know, hottie with a, with a sexy name, Hagar. We've got this uh, handmaid. She's a little bit younger, probably more likely to conceive. So maybe God was being kind of allegorical when he said, we're gonna have, you know, maybe it was more you with, and he's like, man, if, if I have to have sex with this young chick, I guess I'll do it, right? To, to make a baby. And so he goes, he, he goes for it. He, uh, I, I don't know, make love's the right term, but he impregnates Hagar. And, uh, and then God's just like, what are you guys doing? Like I told you, Sarah's gonna conceive. You guys are gonna have this baby. It's gonna be a miracle. And so again, uh, and, 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 and this is the analogy Paul's using here is uh, they did in the flesh what God wants to do through faith. They took matters in their own hand. They didn't act in faith. They're like, I'll just do it myself. Where faith is God said, he's gonna do it. I'm gonna trust him. And in the gospel, we go, God's gonna do it. He did it. I trust him. Religion is I'm gonna do it myself and be a good person and, and, and get right again. That, that's the way the law works. 
And so uh, we are a part of this miracle because of Sarah's barrenness and God's promise. We have been included into the promise of salvation. Verse 28, it says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Ishmael and Isaac had a little beef. So also it is now, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Again, we're not, uh, we're not in the line of the flesh. We're in the line of faith uh, in, the, in the grace of Jesus. Amen. Get, he's saying, cast out this false teaching. Cast out the Judaizers. Uh, there's no tolerance to work. Uh, there's no tolerance for works-based religion in the church, according to Paul. Before we go trying uh, to find others, uh, other people to kick out, we, we got to look at our hearts. So, so here's what I want to ask. Um, what does it mean to be a slave to sin? What does it mean to be enslaved to the law? What does it mean to live like a slave instead of living like a son or a daughter, a privileged child? Sons in this culture were the privileged children. Uh, the idea, he's, he's like, you're a son, you're not a slave. Really, you're a privileged child. So look at it that way for you ladies. You're the most privileged child in the family or a slave. And so really what I want to land in is how you relate to God, which is the whole point of this. Do you relate to God like you're under the law still? And by the way, these people are Christians Paul's writing to. So, so they're legit Christians, but they, they've forgotten again, like that slave I mentioned at the beginning, the ex-slave. They used to be slaves and, and they're starting to act like slaves again. So I wanna ask you this, t- t- my whole message basically um, is, man, are, are you walking in freedom or are you walking in slavery? Are you walking in joy or are you walking in fear when it comes to how you relate to God on a, on a day-to-day basis? Um, I have no idea uh, what, where we're at time-wise. Okay, I got tw- 20 minutes. Okay. Um, all right, so here's what I'm gonna look at. Now, how do you relate to God on a day-to-day basis? Um, do you relate to God as a slave like the Galatians were starting to? And, and I have a couple different um, kind of diagnostic points and, and go, man, is this me? And if this is you today, man, we wanna take communion and celebrate that you don't, Jesus lived up to the law for you and has given you a relationship with God. But I want you to be honest with yourself. First question, if you're living uh, like a slave under the law, is your view of God changes drastically from day-to-day. And the reason for this is because you believe that it's by your moral obedience that you make him happy with you. So you wake up one day and uh, you have a good day. You get up early, right? First alarm, you're not fourth, fourth iPhone alarm, first one. You pop up, you get in your CBR, you get in your Bible reading plan. You crush it. You confess sin the right way. Um, you adore him, you worship him, uh, you thank him, you ask him to transform you, you even feel that. You bless uh, your roommates or your spouse and your kids. They're like, oh, I'm so blessed to be with this man who communes with God. And then you, 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 know, you, you go into work and then you bless people at work. And, uh, and then someone's like, hey, um, we're out of, uh, we're out of, can someone change the water jug in the, in the uh, break room? And you're like, man, I'll do it. And you, and you, and you change the water jug. And people go, man, it's so cool that you're changing this, this water jug. And you're like, you know who else uh, did some stuff with water? Jesus, he turned water into wine. And they're like, tell me more. And, and they get saved. And... Uh, and, and you leave work and they're chanting for Jesus is jolly good fellow, especially because he's with this guy. And, and, and you go home and then you tell your kids about it. And they're like, hey, we want to get saved too, dad. This is amazing. And, uh, and you didn't struggle with lust all day. didn't struggle with pride. Um, you give your, your wife a foot massage, even though feet are kind of gross too, but you're a servant. And then you, and then you go to bed um, and you go, God, thank you for sleep. Thank you that you're overlooked. And you, and you knock out, okay? Uh, so you have that day, right? Um, or you have the day you get up uh, third alarm, Third alarm, and uh, you're kind of cranky. You're freaking out. You're, you're hey, you're yelling at your wife and your kids or your, your, your husband or your roommate. Hey, where's this thing? Where'd this shirt go? 
I had a shirt on the back of this table. Who moved it? Is it the kids? Is it the, is it, is it the husband? Is it, the, is, is, it, is it your roommates? Is your roommate wearing your clothes again? He's chubby. He doesn't even fit him. I don't know why he does that. And it jacks up the buttons and you're angry. And uh, then you get, in, you get into traffic. You're flipping people off. You know, you're cutting off grandmas. You're, you're angry. Um, you, you, you get to work. You're checking out chicks at the office, checking out dudes at the office. Your mind's not in a good spot purity-wise. You feel like you're better than everyone else. Um, your pride's raging. Someone's like, the water's out. You're like, well, change it then, you lazy whatever. <laughs> you go home and you, you, you wolf down food. You don't even pray for the food. And you're like, God, I hate my life. You didn't pray all day and you, and you go to bed. Now, now, again, at the end of that day, now, at the end of both of those days, um, which person is God more likely to bless? Which, which person is God more likely to love? Uh, one guy, a guy named Jerry Bridges, he's an amazing uh, author. and he, he died a few years ago, amazing Bible teacher. He said, there is never a day, he calls it the good day, bad day scenario. He said, there's never um, a good day where you're beyond the need of God's grace. And there is never a day that you're so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. There's never a day that you're so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace, even on your best day. It's your motive, you get a lot going on. And there's never a day that you're so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Your worst day, when you're looking at porn, when you're sleeping with your girl, when you're yelling at your spouse, when you're lying, when you're at the worst of you, whatever that is for you, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And when you're on your best day, crushing your devotions, your purity, your pride, you're not bitter, you're loving people, you still need God's grace. Our relationship with God is, is, is through him. Um, uh, another thing, so, so again, does your view of God change drastically day to day? That, by the way, that's how a slave would live. I mean, is the master happy today? Am I doing enough to appease him? Um, another thing is you tend to get angry with God often. You feel like he owes you something because you think, I've been good. Why is this happening to me? I've been a good boy. Again, your, heart, your heart's a mess. You're such a liar. But we deceive ourselves. Sin deceives us. Some of you guys relate to God as slaves because you actually are this isn't everyone as is a son, just act like it. This is some of you in this room are slaves because you have not surrendered your life to Jesus and put your faith in him for salvation. That, that God relates, we'll get into in a second. So do you relate to God as a slave? Uh, another point with this is you find little joy in him. You find the Christian faith uh, more draining than life-giving. To you, Christianity is just stuff you can't do. It's not receiving something, it's just not getting to do something. But actually, you, in Jesus, you're given more than you could ask or imagine. He satisfies you in a way that sin never would. But you don't believe that if you live as a slave. You just think God's holding out on you. Kind of like Adam and Eve or Luke 15, the, the older brother. I'm, I'm doing the stuff. Not sleeping with my boyfriend, but I hate you. I'm not, uh, I'm not getting hammered like all my friends, but I don't love you. Again, God wants you to love him, not just to not do it. He wants you to love him and rejoice and delight in him. So do you relate, do you relate to God uh, as, a, as a slave? Does your view of God change drastically day to day? Do you find little joy in him? Do you get angry with him? Or do you relate to God as a privileged child? Do you believe he doesn't just love you, but he likes you? Maybe another way to put it, it's not just slaves, but, but do you... Do you do you live as a privileged child in God's presence or do you live like you're an orphan and you're on your own? Do you believe he doesn't just love you, but that he likes you? Um, anything that isn't sin, he loves. He created you that way. 
some, I hate how extroverted I am. I walk away from dinners with people and go, I can't believe how much I talked after the fact. Often I feel shame, I feel embarrassed. There's time I'm learning to love people and, and talk less. I'm trying to grow my character, but there's a part of that that's just how God designed me. Some of you guys are like, God, I'm so awkward. I'm an introvert. I'm so bad at small talk. I, right? I, I just, oh man, hands start sweating. I just get weird. I, I, I don't know what to say. Then I try to get witty and it's just not witty. And I hate that about myself. It's embarrassing. Some of you guys, um, um, some of you guys are really um, spontaneous and, and, and you just want to be, you want to be organized more than people know. Like if you could flip a switch, you would be organized, right? Oh uh, man, this is, I'm an ENFP Myers-Briggs. That means you're, 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 you're never organized. You're, you're spontaneous to a fault, okay? Life's a party. You're, you're 10 minutes late and when people get there, they're pumped, but you're, you're 20 minutes late, right? Um, and, and I go, man, God, I wish you would make me. And again, I've, I've had to work on my character uh, to, to get better at being more structured and organized. But at the end of the day, there's certain things I'm just never gonna be as good as other people at. Some of you guys, you wish you could cut loose more. Right, you just can't. You, you just can't. If it's not on the calendar, you just can't. It's, it's not there, though. We can't just do this. Like, but there's nothing there. I know, but it's it wasn't there prior. Like, we can't just. You know, I wish I could just cut loose and have fun. Some of us have a big nose. Some of us have a little nose. Some of you, I go on and on of things about ourselves that we don't really dig, but God does dig. He He, he created us that way. It's like actually, um, I love that you're loud and crazy. You're my loud and crazy son. You know, I learned to love people, but man, you actually bring joy to people a lot. I love that, that, you're, that you're my quiet, thoughtful son or daughter. And that when you do speak, you speak um, words that matter to people's lives. I love that you're spontaneous and you're open to what my spirit wants to do and you're open to just like helping people stay in the moment. Hey, I love that you bring order to things. Okay, we don't need to feel shame about these things. God designed us, goes, man, I, I dig that about you. My kids are so different. I love my kids, the exact, I really do. I, I don't have, I, I, it's hard for me to stand on the faith, but I really don't. Um, but there are unique things about them that I like that are just different, that God doesn't just love you, he likes you, he digs you. Zephaniah 3.17 uh, says this, I didn't mark it about it. It says, uh, this is the Old Testament and God, he, God's just done telling the Israelites, it's, it's a Old Testament kind of gospel piece. He says, I'm gonna deal with your sin. I'm gonna, um, there'll be a sacrifice in your place. And then he says, after the, all that goes down, your sin's atoned for, you can look at it. And it's kind of 14 through 16, he says, the Lord your God is in your midst. This is God talking to his people. The Father is talking to his people. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Do you believe God rejoices over you? Like he gets pumped over you. Like he's so pumped, he's singing. This is what this is talking. I don't know if you're at a moment where you're just so pumped, you just start singing. The shower, or driving, and you're like, man, there are people next to me. But you're pumping. That's how God, that's how he is with you. When you have a new baby. Or, or, or he will quiet you by his love. Uh, uh, he, uh, this guy named Sam Storms, Hebrew scholar, pastor, he's amazing, wrote a book called The Singing God. Uh, he argues, the more I've looked at it, I agree that when it says he will quiet you by his love, that it is he's quieted in his love for you. It's like he's a content father. I'm just looking at my sleep baby. The baby's not doing anything to earn love. Isn't that crazy? Slaves earn love. Babies are just babies. <laughs> my, my buddy, had, they had a, my, my friend uh, Trang had a baby last night and uh, her, her husband Adam's one of my elder candidates. He, he sent me a picture of the baby. It's not even my baby. I already love that baby. <laughs> Legit, like I cry, like I'm like, yo, like I, you're, you're, like our, you're my nephew. You know, I love you. And, and, and with parents even more so, that God's that way with you. He's not like, oh, I wish you would just, you know, I wish this baby had blonde hair instead of black hair. What kind of crap is this, right? <laughs> Parents love ugly babies. No parent knows their baby's ugly. 
And, and God, man, infinitely more, he, he knows your blemishes and he's not in denial. He, he loves you, he created you as you are. Do you believe he's, he's so, he, he adores you to the point he, he likes you, doesn't just love you. He, he's either singing over you or he's content in his love for you. And by the way, this doesn't mean that he's like cool with you, you sinning, but when you sin, he's grieved. He's not, he's not a, a judge who has wrath for you. Jesus took all your wrath on the cross. He's a father who's grieved, like a son who's wrapped up in addiction and his father sees it, sees how sin's destroying him. Uh, another question, do you believe that you no longer have to perform for his approval? If he is our father, this means we no longer need to strive to earn God's forgiveness or make ourselves right with God. Uh, my son, uh, Clive, he is an Enneagram One. He is probably an INTJ. Uh, he's very organized. He's not me. He's very organized. He, he gets stuff done. He's an achiever, a performer. Um, uh, the other day, my wife was sick, so I had the kids all day. My son had speech therapy at 3.30. We were leaving the house at 8 a.m. to get them to school about five minutes late. I'm, it's me. And uh, Clive goes, hey, Dad, before you leave, hang on. Uh, and he looks at the calendar on the fridge. He goes, uh, Dad, Cal's got speech therapy at 3.30 today. Are you going to remember that? I was like, ah, he's like, I'm going to write it on my hand just to make sure. CST, Cal's speech therapy, 3.30. Pick the kids up. I've forgotten about this. They get in the car at 2.40. Clive's like, don't forget, Dad, Cal's speech therapy. Miss Chelsea's speech therapist is moving back to Boston in two weeks, so we don't want Cal to be really sad and miss one of these appointments. Plus, we get charged. <laughs> it's mom's uh, my wife has been sick. She's been sick. She calls me at 3.15, frantic. Oh my gosh, go to Miss Chelsea's speech. Story. It's like, oh, dude, I've been here for 10 minutes. Right? Your son is on top of things. He wrote on his hand. He told me. That's him. That's him. He, he made a, a list that said, um, from the office, I, I found this on his desk. It said, from the office of Clive Aaron Rogers, from the desk of Clive Aaron Rogers. It said, uh, get better at fighting. Uh, get better at my basketball shot. Get better at math. Uh, and again, he just, he has this, like, I need to do better, I need to do better. And I have to tell him all this, he's good at a lot of stuff. Prayers, whatever he does, he'll work at getting good at it. And, um, and I've had to tell him so many times, dude, I love it. I love it. I love it when you, yeah, you score more points than anyone else in your basketball game. I love it when you have great grades. I love it when you remember things we forget. But man, if you forgot all of that or you weren't doing any of that, I would love you the same, dude. Because he needs to know I'm not hung up on his performance at all. Like that's, that my love for him isn't that way. But for a lot of Christians, we, we think, we, we have this, these lists. Okay, if I, just, if, I just, if I just kick sexual purity, like I get it done. What does it look like to get that done for life? What does it look like to not struggle forever? Your thought, like a lot of us, we, we have this thing. We don't say it out loud. We go, I have this one issue. And if, if I just master this, God's gonna be cool with me, which by the way, downplays all the rest of your sin. Um, but we just think, man, I got this one thing. And, um, and God goes, man, I love you. I don't love that thing, but I love you. Um, I love you even as you wrestle with that thing. J.D. Greer, an author, uh, wrote a book called Gospel, you guys should probably read. Uh, he wrote this. He said, Christians are like a consistent on Survivor, endlessly trying to prove to God and one another why we deserve to stay on the island. That, that's slave life. That's orphan life. Keep me the orphan. Don't kick me out. Please feed me. That, that's, not, that's not kids. Uh, again, so you guys are constantly trying to earn the favor of God, right? So you, 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 you decide it's January 1. Um, I'm going to crush my Bible reading this year. I'm doing it, right? 365, whole Bible. Get the plan. You print the plan up. You laminate it. Whatever. How many of you guys have read through the whole Bible in a year? Cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we all want to do it. And we get in there. I mean, it starts out amazing. Genesis, I mean, it's the book of beginnings. God speaks the, at the beginning of the world into existence by his very word, the first people, the first family, the first sin. Uh, it's just this epic of war and betrayal and romance and 
all, it's, it's a soap opera. Uh, you get to Exodus. It's a story of deliverance. It's this redemption story. It's a story that literally they made movies about uh, where there's this uh, deliverer is raised up in Moses. There's supernatural stuff going on. It's action-packed. It could be a great movie. And then it's like March 14th and you hit Leviticus and the train slows down. Leviticus 3. Like I've never even thought through, right? and you've been taught, I have to apply the Bible to myself every day. Um, I'm the point of the Bible, not Jesus. And you go, man, I've never even considered how to, to boil, I've never even considered boiling a, a calf in its mother's blood. That's not what I was thinking for lunch today. I don't know how to apply it to the office today, right? There's that weird passage youth group kids always do. Like if you have a crushed testicle, you can't enter the assembly of the Lord. It's in the Bible. Read that. You're like, dude, I don't know what to do with this. Right? It's in there. Got uh, wet dreams, got menstrual cycles. It's all in the law, dude. It's all in the law. Take it up with Moses, not me. It's weird stuff in there. You just don't know what to do with it. And you just go, man, I'm a failure. I can't read the Bible. Other Christians, they, they're, and you just assume everyone else is crushing it with Leviticus. Everyone but you. By the way, you can, you can get into Leviticus in some cool ways, but it's definitely not natural. You gotta learn some stuff. Um, prayer, right? Some of you guys, you, you don't pray. You don't view prayer as talking to your father. You view prayer, again, as if it's this activity to earn his favor. And so, um, and so you go, I have to pray about the right things. Not what's actually on my heart, but the stuff God would want me to pray about. And it's, 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 it's kind of like um, if my son was being bullied and he came to me and goes, hey, dad, I just want to talk to you about um, uh, saving money. I want to get better at saving money uh, with my piggy bank. And he's, he's just terrified of getting beat up at school. And he's coming to me with this thing that he thinks going to impress me instead of what's actually on his heart. It's like, dude, I, I don't know. You, you got a long time. You don't need to worry about saving money right now. You're five. Um, you, you're scared. We, we do that with God, though. We bring him what, what we think will impress him, you know? And so we start praying for the church, right? And then we start praying uh, for Tom, the leader of, of this church plant. And then you start thinking, man, I think, I think I'm getting, right, you're praying. And you're like, oh, man, I think I'm getting dinner with Tom and Ebony. I think I'm bringing the food. They're bringing, they're bringing the food. I'm bringing, I'm bringing the food. Okay, I'm, I'm bringing the pizza. I'm bringing the pizza. That's, pizza. That's right, it's pizza. And uh, I think we're gonna, oh, I'm gonna get Luigi's, Luigi's pizza. Um, and Luigi's, uh, man, there was that video game uh, with Mar Super Mario, Mario and Luigi. And I used to have a friend named Mario, actually. <laughs> He was an incredible surfer, man. Like that guy, he just crushed surfing. I really should get a new surfboard, uh, right? And then Satan shows up, is like, dude, you are not the William, uh, you're not the William Wallace of prayer warriors, right? You're a failure. You just feel awful. Could be mission for you. For one guy who committed to sharing the gospel every day with someone, whether he knew them or not. And he realized one night at 11.30 at night, he hadn't shared the gospel with anyone. So he went to 7-Eleven and just yelled at people. 11.30 at night. Yeah, we all know the cranky, obligated messenger of grace just screams out the affection of Jesus. <laughs> Again, purity, if I can just go a month without looking at porn or going too far with my boyfriend. All of the things I just talked about, the Bible, prayer, mission, pursuing purity are good as a means of increasing our intimacy with God, but they are demonic if used as a basis for why we are forgiven and allowed to be intimate with God. Again, it's going, Jesus, you're not enough. Credit our own laws. Do you, uh, this kind of goes along with this. Do you believe that, that the Father enjoys your attempts to obey him even when you're imperfect? Um, again, prayer is, you, is a child talk. Jesus says, pray to daddy, pray to Abba. Not thou Lord Voldemort, king of heaven and earth, whatever. He says, pray to daddy, right? And, and again, it's just amazing. I, I remember, um, and here's the thing about when little kids talk to their daddy, um, they're, not, they're not super eloquent, but we love it. 
Uh, my, my daughter, Olivia, about, uh, I don't know, nine months ago, maybe a year ago, she, she said her first words. First words were milk. But she said, mook, mook, right? And when she said those words, we got pumped. Her brothers got pumped. I got pumped. We we're asking her to say it again so we could film it and send it to my dad. Like what? And again, she's talking. I've heard people say milk way better than that. <laughs> kind of garbage mook. What, what is that? Right? But, but I'm, this is my daughter. I'm excited. I'm like, man, she, maybe she's reinventing. She's saying milk in a more efficient way. Uh, you know, we're wasting syllables out there. This is a kid's a genius, right? It's my daughter. She's talking to me, even if it's not great. God, if you, if you, your, mind, your mind goes places when you're praying, God's not like, I can't believe you. It's like, man, I love, I love that you're trying to be with me. When you're trying to pursue sexual purity and your motives aren't perfect, he's patient. He isn't an angry judge when you give yourself over to sin. He's a grieved father. I have better for you than this. This is ruining your life. There are consequences for this here, but I love you and I don't want you to experience those. I, um, I read half of a book. Uh, to be honest, it was very hard to get through. Um, not because it wasn't written well. It was written well. It was a book called Beautiful Boy. I don't know if you guys have heard of that book, but it's a, it's a dad writing about his son's heroin addiction and kind of the, the ups and downs of that journey. And, um, and I want you to think, and again, Jesus says, you, you fathers who are wicked know how to do this, but God's this perfect father. Um, man, a father's commitment to, to his son, even, again, not approving of what they're doing, but I love them so much, I'm willing to fight the thing that they're doing with them. This is what the father's like. Do you know that the father will never punish you, but only discipline you for your own good? Discipline is, is not punitive, it's restorative. It's like when my, my daughter, uh, when my um, oldest son, Clive, uh, he was trying to run in the street and he, he, he tried, and I would tell him, no, 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 and he, he tried to do it and then I had to, I had to uh, discipline him. And then um, a little while later, I remember he, uh, he, maybe two years later, his brother tried to run the street and he said, Calvin, no, don't go in the street. There was this thing that he became the, 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 the type of person, not only didn't want to, hurt themselves, but was looking out for someone else. Uh, again, again, discipline's for your good. Punishment is, you did a bad thing, I'm gonna make you pay. Discipline is, I, I'm trying to keep you from a really bad thing that's gonna hurt you. Being grounded sucks, but not as bad as getting hit by a truck. You might be mad at me right now. My daughter can't understand. She can't fathom why she can't cup toilet water and drink it. She's never succeeded, that we know of, right? But she's like, man, it's fun, it's water, it's like a pool, you know? Such a hater, dad. God, for our own good, will discipline us and keep us from what we think we want that we don't actually want because he's infinitely wiser. And he loves us more than we love ourselves, and we are stupid sometimes. Even with our finite human reasoning, we can see things that we wanted that would have just jacked us up. And God goes, I love you too much. Hebrews 12, verses seven through 11. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God will discipline us for our own good and it will hurt. He'll take things away from us in love. And, uh, but here's the thing. He's proving that we're his kids when that happens, right? Um, I don't go up to random kids at the park and go, stop it. It's gotta be pretty insane. Like they're punching someone or uh, really I'm like, you're not gonna share your toys, Timmy? Who are you? I'm me. I'm Andy Rogers. Tom says I'm an apostle, right? That'd be weird. It's like, no, who do I, I discipline my kids because they belong to me. Me disciplining isn't, I don't love you. It's I do love you. It's proving you belong to me. I love you enough to talk to you because I don't want you to be the kind of person 
who's greedy or the kind of person who hurts people or the kind of person, again, it's proof. So he's saying, besides this, verse nine, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And I understand some of you guys were not, you were actually punished. You weren't disciplined, you were beat. Or you, you, were, you were told to go sit in a room uh, for, for hours at a time and you were with, affection was withheld. That's not what this is talking about. This is a discipline that, that, that it actually, um, punishment pushes you away. I'm disgusted with you. How could you? Discipline is, I don't want you to do this because I love you. I'm disciplined. And actually discipline draws you to the father, not away from the father. So he says, earthly fathers, the best earthly fathers discipline, you know, for a short time, but God is making us like him that will share in his holiness. He will take things away from us that we think we need, that relationship, that job, that promotion that we thought we need more than anything, but would have required us to work 70 hours, neglect our family, and 30 years later have kids that hate us, that no one told, that was on the job description. And go on and on. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Again, I love it with Clive that he's like, hey, don't go in the street. This is discipline of right, this, this fruit of righteousness. He became a different person. Kids hate discipline in the short term, but are so grateful for it later. Show me a kid who's not disciplined as a kid. I'll show you a kid who's probably in prison later on or can't keep a job or can't stay on a sports team or can't stay in a school. And it's often not even, it's, I mean, it's the kid's fault because they're a sinner, but, but man, they, they were given no advantage by not being disciplined. It's like, please stop punching your mom in the face, please. No, hey, dude, you can't do that. It's not how life works. Punch other people in the face, it's gonna get wild for you, right? You discipline, you go, no, man, I love you too much to let you do that. You're not gonna do that to my wife. You're not gonna do that to, to, to whoever. You know what's best for you. My last point is this. Um, I've asked a couple different questions I've asked. They're all, they're all big. Um, do you believe that God doesn't just love you, but he likes you? He digs you? God laughs over you? He enjoys you? This is my, my boy, my girl. Do you believe that you no longer have to perform for his approval? Do you believe that he enjoys your attempts to obey him, even when they're imperfect? Do you know that he will never punish you, but only discipline you for your own good? So even when, when you feel like you're being disciplined, it literally is, it's, it's gonna, you're gonna win. And then my last question is this, is do you believe he's safe to turn to when you get yourself into trouble? I was playing um, kind of, we live in uptown San Diego, which is just, it's tight. It's not like London near New York, but it's, t- it's way tighter than Temecula. The houses are on top of each other. Um, my front yard's smaller than this, st- about the size of the stage. So um, we, uh, we play football and it's kind of like you're running, you can only run a five yard, a five yard, uh, really like a, a, a fade. You can't even run an in because there's not enough, whatever. And, uh, but he was like, hey dad, throw it to me, you know, so throw the ball. And he would do this thing where he would, he would catch it and he would run and then he would, he would uh, touch the, the, you know, the wooden, uh, kind of a traditional Southern California kind of wooden fence. And, uh, and he would t- and he'd go, touchdown, Clive Aaron Rogers. And he'd get pumped. And I was like, hey man, man, just don't, don't, don't push that. You just, I was thinking you get a splinter. Uh, I'm a very conservative parent. It's kind of funny. I'm like pretty loose and chill with a lot of things, but like I'm really anxious about child safety. People make fun of me a lot. Um, and, and, and me being a passenger in a car. That's a whole other thing. I get very anxious. Um, but, but, but anyways, he, he's going and, and he goes, man, he's doing it. And, and when he goes, he pushes the boards to where they separate a little bit and his finger gets caught between the boards. And, um, and I've told him not to do this. 
So uh, there's a level of shame in him. Like, I, man, I, I did the thing I was supposed to do and I've gotten myself into trouble. And, and, and I don't know if you know, but, but a kid's immediate reaction when they're in this predicament is to what? Pull their finger out instead of separating the boards, which begins to cut them. And he starts to do that. And I just said, Clive, no, 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 no. Let me, let me help you. And I got over and I slowly, you know, I, again, I, I moved this thing apart. And I pulled him out and I hugged him and he started crying. And he said, I, sh- I should have listened. And I had no idea that was going to happen. I didn't even foresee that. Like, I just was like, I don't get a splinter or whatever. <laughs> but I was like, dude, man. And he said, he, he was, he was, his finger hurt, but he was so like, I, I did the wrong thing. I didn't listen. I'm so sorry. I said, bud, you don't need to, <laughs> I want you to be safe. The only reason I even tell you not to do things is for your good. Parents shouldn't have random rules to just not be fun. The rule should be, for the kids' safety and protection and to prepare them for later in life, not just because, you know, whatever. Um, and so here's what I want to ask is, man, do you run to the father when you sin or away from him when you sin? He can get you out. He's the only one who can get you out. He finds us in our, most, our darkest places. He takes us by the hand. He picks us up and he picks us home. That's what he does over and over and over again throughout the Bible. It's not, man, I'm gonna get my, that's the prodigal son. I'm gonna get my act together. What is he, when he gets there, he's like, all right, I'm gonna earn it off. I'm gonna work like a slave. I'm gonna, maybe I can be like a hired hand. He's like, shut up and get in here. We're having a party. I thought you were dead. Care about stupid money. Care about you. I wanna read a a story in closing. Um, It's from an amazing book called You Can Change. by a guy named Tim Chester. And uh, Tim Chester says this. He says, we were slaves of sin and now we are children of God. It would be crazy to go on living as slaves and not as children. Freedom doesn't mean we can sin. That's not freedom. That's going back into slavery. Imagine an alcoholic whose addiction has wrecked his life. Someone kindly puts him through rehab, and after several months, he leaves free from his addiction. He's not going to say, I'm free at last, so I'm going to get drunk. That's not freedom. That's returning to slavery. And then uh, Tim describes a little girl named, uh, little girl named Sophie. And he says this, he says, it was Sophie's first day with her adoptive parents. She stalked nervously around her new home, fearing one of the beatings she used to get if something got broken. The toys in her room were untouched. She couldn't quite believe they were hers. At dinner, she secretly stuffed food into her pocket. You never knew where your next meal would come from when you were on the streets. That night she felt so alone in her big room. She would have cried if she hadn't long since learned to suppress her emotions. Now listen to her new mother, this is Tim's friend, one year later. She crawled into bed with me last night because she was having a bad dream. She curled up next to me, put her head on my chest, told me that she loved me, smiled and went to sleep. I nearly cried with contentment. You get kind of Zephaniah 3 vibe. Sophie had a new identity on day one. She was, she'd become a child in a new family, but initially she still lived like a child of the street. Her actions and attitudes were shaped by her old identity. Christians too have a new identity and we're to live out of our new identity to be what we are. So don't live like a slave when you can live like a child of the king of the universe. I think it breaks God's heart, man, when we're hiding food and when we're hiding from him and we're trying to do life on our own. He's like, man, just let me help you. And, oh God, I, want, I sent Jesus to die for you, dude. I knew you were a mess when I brought you. It cost me a lot to get you here. Helping you pick up around the house, showing you things, it's my joy. 
I adopted you for such as this, to teach you to walk in the life of your big brother Jesus, life and life abundant. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand over to, to Tom right now. I'll set up the response. Can I have to go, guys? I'm so sorry.